as we sort of drift along in our routines. Uh, you're going to learn a little bit about me right now. That's why I gave up TikTok for Lent. Uh, it sounds funny, but I, it's true. I gave up TikTok for Lent. Uh, and so far, I'm doing very good, doing very good. But I gave up TikTok because I use it as a crutch. When I am stressed, uh, when I am tired, and I don't want to deal with being an adult, I'll watch TikTok and make the rest of the world around me a little bit more dim so that I can pretend that these small dopamine hits are really making me less stressed and less tired. That's not true, is it? We all have those little crutches that we could probably do without for 40 days. So, that's one of the reasons why we fast for Lent. It's a time to refocus our energies and attentions on Christ before we celebrate the great thing that he has done on Easter Sunday. But we also fast during Lent for another reason. So remember, Lent is a 40-day fast. That's what Lent means. It means 40th. Uh, and it's a fast that prepares us for Easter. And the reason why it's a 40-day fast is because it's modeled on the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. It's modeled after that time when he was in the desert, desert fighting temptation. The same story we're diving into every week. And so we take 40 days to fast because Jesus took 40 days to fast. And we go through a, a short season of self-imposed hunger and dryness and stillness uh, because Jesus went through the same thing. And our ultimate goal during Lent this year, at least, is to find where Jesus is in our self-imposed hunger, dryness, and stillness, so that when we are in seasons of hunger, dryness, and stillness that are not self-imposed, we will know where to find him. That's what we're doing this Lent. And last week, we learned that if we follow Jesus, we will inevitably follow him into a desert a place of hunger, dryness, and stillness. We, we follow him there. We aren't left there. It's not a place that is absent from the presence of God. It's part of the Christian life to go through the desert because God is in the desert. We go through the desert because God is in the desert. God does not drop, a, drop us off at the edge of the wilderness and say, good luck, for a few months or a few years, he brings us there and goes in with us. The wilderness is where we go to be ministered to by God. That was last week. Uh, this week, we will be in the same passage of scripture, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. The Bible's in front of you or under you. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home. If you want to study the Bible together, email me. We'll set up a time together. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. If you, uh, if you missed last week, uh, we will be in this passage of Scripture for several weeks, for the whole season of Lent, just one passage of Scripture. Uh, by week four, I hope you'll be able to just quote it back to me. <laughs> uh, I'll say, what's the Scripture? And then y'all read it, and then I can start the sermon. That'll be great. Um, but that's a lot of repetition. And repetition is often what we feel when we're in a dry season. It's what we feel when we're in the desert. Nothing really feels fresh or new. Everything is kind of the same. The desert is a monotonous place. It's always the same. 
And so being in one passage for several weeks is a way for us to prepare our souls for Easter by sticking with a pattern. And when we finally read a new text by Palm Sunday or Easter, even that alone will bring joy to our hearts. That's the goal. So uh, last week, we focused on verses one and two, and that's kind of what our pattern is going to be. We're going to read the whole passage, but we're going to focus on the next couple of verses. So we're focusing on three and four today. Uh, For a little context, this is Jesus's first experience after baptism. He is led into the desert to be tempted, and he will have his character examined. Uh, And there in the desert, after 40 days of fasting, so this is after he's fasted that long, the devil decides that he's going to begin the process of temptation. The devil has a goal. Jesus has a goal. And this uh, passage lays out Jesus's strategy for achieving his goal by the end of 40 days. So that's where we pick up. Uh, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I'm reading from the NRSV this morning. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you do not bash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Notice how many times it says again and again and again. Repetition is important, especially in the desert. But before we get into the specifics of the temptation itself, the temptation to turn stones into bread, the the specific story, uh, I think there's a lot of value in taking a little bit of time to talk about the big story, the the overarching story, uh, the one that transcends time. So uh, remember... um, When we learned about the story of Jesus in the story of Abraham, uh, we learned that God, although he is working in our individual lives, he is also telling his story overarchingly, okay? So uh, there's two stories happening, your own and God's, and you play a part in God's. And so uh, the overarching story is what we have in Scripture, Uh, And these two verses that we're focusing on touch a little bit on that overarching story. So uh, we've read this passage twice now, uh, and I also hope that you're reading it outside of service to prepare your own heart for the grandeur of Easter. And one of the things that you may have noticed as we've read this passage um, 
is that each of the three times the devil tempts Jesus with something, Jesus responds by quoting scripture back at the devil. That's how Jesus fights back. He uses scripture, uh, the words of God to resist the things being presented to him. And the thing to know is that Jesus isn't quoting random scriptures. These aren't, these aren't just scriptures that he's thinking through and taking inventory and he's memorized several and, and he's just picking ones that are relevant. And even though he does pick relevant scriptures, he's not quoting uh, random scriptures. In fact, Jesus is being very particular with the scriptures that he is choosing to recite. Uh, and so the specific book that Jesus is drawing from is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a very important book. It's one of the first five books of the Bible. And to the Hebrews, that's called the Torah. It's, it's the foundation of scripture. Traditionally, they, they say that Moses wrote all of those first five books. And there's a lot of scholarship that says that that's probably not true. But the point is that those first five books are the foundation of Israel, the, fair, the very foundation. You know, the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees in Jesus's time, the Pharisees, um, they had all kinds of scriptures, the ones that we know as the Old Testament, but the Sadducees, they just said, nope, just the first five books. That's how important these books are to the Hebrew people. And Deuteronomy is one of those foundational books. It's a book that holds Israel to the high standards of God's law. That's what Deuteronomy does. The themes of Deuteronomy are faithfulness, obedience, the promise of blessings, uh, God's covenant with Israel, uh, and Moses stresses to the Israelites over and over the need for obedience. Deuteronomy is a book of obedience. Uh, In Exodus and Leviticus, we get the law of God. That, that's what we get the law from, is Exodus and Leviticus kind of put together. But, but Deuteronomy, what Deuteronomy does is it tells us the law again. It's a repeat of the law. In fact, that's what Deuteronomy literally means. It means repeated law. It means second given law. Uh, it, it's a book of obedience to the law of God. And yet, the first several chapters of Deuteronomy are a long retelling of Israel's disobedience. Right out of the gate in chapter one, God is saying, go into the land of Israel uh, or into the, the, land, the promised land, the land of Canaan. Uh, and so Israel's like, okay, we can do that. So they send some spies in uh, to just kind of scope things out and report back. And the spies, they see some really big, scary people in there. And so they come back to Israel and they say, well, there's big, scary people in there, so we probably shouldn't go in. And so all of Israel just says, okay, we're not going to go in. Even though God tells them to, they say, no, we're just going to stay right here. That's fine. We're just going to stay here. And time and time again, Israel fails in the desert. They don't do what God says. They try to do what God says, but then they do it wrong. They do their own thing because they think that they know better than what God tells them. Israel does a terrible job of being obedient in the desert. And Israel also experiences a lot of food issues in the desert. 
They would collect manna, this this miraculous bread from heaven that God provided for them. They would collect manna on the wrong days that they were told not to do it. Uh, They got greedy and killed a bunch of quail uh, that they weren't supposed to kill, and then they all got sick because of it. Uh, They started to complain to God because God wasn't giving them enough meat. They wanted a a luxury experience, so they, they complained to God that they weren't being given an all-inclusive experience. And so their food failures were actually so bad that in Exodus 16, this is what Israel says, the whole nation. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They would have rather have died as slaves eating bread in Egypt than to eat the manna, this miraculous bread from heaven and be free in the desert with God. That is how bad Israel's food failures were. And so here's Jesus. He's in the desert now. The whole Nation of Israel spent 40 years in the desert and Jesus as an individual spends 40 days in the desert. And every day Israel had the the law of God repeated to them by Moses so that they could remain faithful to God. And here we have Jesus reciting the law of God out loud so that he can remain obedient to God. But there is a big difference between these two desert experiences. And that difference is That where Israel failed in the desert, Jesus did not. It's a redemption story. Jesus is redeeming Israel. Israel wanted bread so bad that they were willing to go back to Pharaoh, uh, back into slavery, live under his domain just to have it. Oh, well, at least Pharaoh let us have bread to eat, not this manna stuff that falls out of heaven. But Jesus isn't so short-sighted. Jesus is in the business of redeeming the whole world, and he starts by redeeming Israel's troubled history by not selling out to another evil ruler for a few pieces of bread. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy because Jesus is connecting himself to the Israelites of old, but this time it's victory over temptation rather than giving in over some bread. That's the overarching story here. When we are disobedient, Jesus remains obedient. That's the overarching story. Uh, Jesus is the obedient one and he redeems us in our disobedience. So now let's get into the specific story. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to do a fast before. Uh, It can be a pretty uncomfortable experience. Uh, If you're fasting from food, just doing water only, then by day three, uh, your immune system begins to reset itself and your breath starts to smell really, really bad because all of the toxins are leaving your body. Um, Focusing on more than one thing becomes really, really difficult. Your sense of smell and hearing becomes strangely heightened, and your brain becomes hyper-focused because it's conserving energy by cutting out peripheral things. That's just by day three of a fast drinking lots of water. 
Jesus is on day 40. And water in the desert is not very easy to come by. His body is beginning to break down muscles and organs in order to stay alive. His body, his whole body, reeks as his kidneys and liver expel their toxins. And he's in a state of ketosis where the body breaks down all of its fats and its proteins. And his eyes are dry and blurry because there's nothing to moisten them. Uh, He's in a state of total weakness. And the devil also called the tempter in verse three, comes in in this weakened state. The devil, as the opportunist that he is, wants to take advantage of Jesus's extreme hunger to try to get him to doubt that he is the son of God. It's not a bad strategy, honestly. I mean, Jesus has all the same human limitations that you and I do. He isn't thinking clearly, and he's terribly weak. And now he's faced with the same temptation that the Israelites faced so long ago in the Sinai. He's out in the wilderness and experiencing the harshness of hunger, dryness, and stillness. But all of that can be alleviated if he just follows the devil's lead. He can have his bread if he submits. His brain can start to feed off the sugars and the carbohydrates rather than the proteins on his own body. His body can stop consuming itself and have some relief if he just follows the devil's lead. It's the same temptation of old. But remember, Jesus is the obedient one. He knows something that the Israelites didn't know. He has no interest in following the lead of the devil because what Jesus knows is this. A life sustained by bread alone is not the kind of life that God leads us into. A life that is sustained by the pleasures and desires of eating food or simply being sustained by our fleeting desires is a half-life. It's a life that is willing to trade freedom with God for the oppression under the enemy of God over something like a few pieces of bread. That's the kind of life that is. But listen, it takes more than bread to live. Bread will help you stay alive, but in order to live, it takes a stream of words from God. That's what Eugene Peterson says, a stream of words from God. This is what Jesus knows that the Israelites of old didn't know. They lived under Pharaoh for so long, 400 something years, so long that they didn't know what the words of God were. They needed a Deuteronomy, a second telling of the law just to be reminded that God's words are the sustenance of life, not the Egyptian bakery down the road, not the comfort of the cubbyhole and the lodgings that they were given as slaves and not the comfort of the daily routines, no matter how harsh those daily routines were. That's not the kind of life that God wanted for them. God wanted them to live a life in a new land of abundance and care but it was God's words in the desert that were going to get them there. Jesus could have made his own downtown bakery right there 
in the wilderness, but it was the words of God, just literally quoting scripture, that took him away from the temptation of being under the devil, the harsh ruler. We cannot live by bread alone, especially in a desert. The temptation is to say that we can. But the reality is, if we're in a season of hunger, dryness, and stillness, and we try to find Jesus in the things that we think will alleviate our hunger, dryness, and stillness, then we're probably going to miss the whole thing. When we are in a desert... The way that we live, not just stay alive, but the way that we live is by the words of God, because God speaks the most clearly in a desert. We live in a time and place where we, specifically us, are lucky to have these things called Bibles. Uh, Other Christians today aren't as lucky as we are in the global south like Brazil and Uh, most African countries and the Philippines and other places, Bibles aren't necessarily readily available and neither is literacy. In fact, uh, Bibles weren't readily available until like 500 years ago uh, before the invention of the Gutenberg Press. And even after that, they were so expensive, they weren't really accessible by anybody. And so when we say we should read our Bibles, we should also acknowledge how lucky we are to have them Uh, what is in the pages of our Bibles are the words of God that we can live off of. We can be sustained by them. They are a gift that should not be taken lightly. That is why every Sunday morning, you will hear me say, go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Because the words of God sustain us every single week. You don't have to have a mediator or a priest or a missionary uh, that you have to go to in order to tell you what the words of God are. It is quite the privilege that we have. In front of you is the sustenance of life, the stuff that just doesn't keep you alive, but the stuff that allows you to live. If we follow Jesus into the desert, then we should pay attention to what Jesus does in the desert. And what our text is telling us this morning is that when Jesus is faced with hunger, dryness, and stillness, he doesn't look for the things that will comfort him in the short term. He looks to the words of God to sustain him. The same words in your hands, the same words on your phone, those are the words that sustained Jesus in the wilderness. If you're faithful enough to follow him into the wilderness, then we should be faithful enough to follow Jesus in what he does in the wilderness. Not living on bread alone, but by finding the sustenance of life in the very words of God. We're going to pray, and then we're going to have communion, another form of miraculous substance that Jesus gives to us. So uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that in times of hunger, dryness, and stillness, uh, we are at least privileged enough to have sustenance right in front of us, spiritual sustenance 
your words that you speak most clearly, most loudly in a time of desert. God, we ask for the grace to listen better, uh, the grace to not take for granted that we have your words in front of us. Let them sustain us. Help us to find your son in them. We love you and we ask for the grace to love you more. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.